Revelations chapter 2. And it was already read in your hearing, and I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. And today marks the beginning of a new series I'm entitled Level Up. Level Up, and we're going to be talking about leveling up as a church, leveling up as, as uh, a husband and wives. We're going to talk about leveling up uh, in our relationships with our extended family. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be talking about leveling up, leveling up doctrinally. We're just going to begin to really unpack what the Bible has to say about contending for the faith, contending for the faith. So we want to level up, church, level up, church, level up, level up. So turn your attention with me to Revelation, verses 4 and 5, chapter 2. And here's what the Word of God says. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first work, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. Father, we thank you that you have not removed the lampstand of this church, that you are an abiding presence. God, we thank you that you have not inscribed the words on the doorposts of this church, Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. God, I'm thanking you in advance that you will speak to us as only you can as we enter into this new new year of 2021. Now bless this time in the powerful name of Jesus. And the saints of God said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They were childhood sweethearts. They walked home from school together, spent hours on the telephone talking with each other. They went to the prom together. They would routinely share their dreams and, and, and vision for marriage and children as they contemplated sharing a future together. Those who knew them were not surprised at all when they heard that this couple agreed to get married right out of high school. The wedding ceremony was simple but beautiful. If any marriage was most likely to succeed, it was theirs. He landed a great traveling salesman job and he rose quickly to the top of the ladder of success with his company. She had an amazing job and they both as a couple became a financial power juggernaut. They, she decided to stay home after they agreed once the children were born and so she raised the three children at home while he continued to ascend in his company and rake in the money, and they moved from one luxurious neighborhood to the next, and uh, every time they would relocate, they would get the best house in the neighborhood. For 40 years, they learned, they earned great money and great, gained great success. All three children attended and completed college. In spite of all their apparent happiness and success, a closer look at this company revealed that something was missing. He worked most of the time, and when he came home, he and her spent the majority of their time in separate parts of their house. When they talked to each other, there was no eye contact. There was no uh, discussion of any intimate interest or concerns. Their discussions were mainly about bills and how the children were doing in school. They slept in the same bed, but they never touched. They ate at the same table, but they never, on a routine basis, I should say, there was no smile or laugh. On the day that their last child graduated from college and moved away from the home, husband was shocked when he heard a knock at his door. A mail courier handed him a certified letter. It was a divorce filing from his wife. 
of 40 years. When he asked her why she was filing for divorce, she replied, we don't love each other anymore. We built a house together, but not a home. We were responsible parents, but we were not responsive mates. We had the appearance of the American dream, but lived a secret nightmare of emotional neglect and robotic lovelessness. The fire we once had went out. The day we said I do because we were in love, we expected the fire of our love to be automatically maintained. We did not keep the fire of passion for our marriage burning. How many of you know just because you crossed the finish line first, that doesn't mean that you won the race? How many of you know that marriage without love is like a body without a heart? There's no substitute for love in a healthy relationship, but just like you must keep working on the fire in a fireplace, keep putting wood on the fire in a fireplace to keep it warm, the same is true in a relationship. If you do not work at it, the fire, the flame, the passion will wane and ultimately burn out. Just like we can fall in love with Jesus, and we did when we trusted him, you can also fall out of love with Christ when you do not keep the flame of passion burning. The danger about the fire that wanes and flickers and ultimately goes out in our walk with the Lord and our love for him, what makes it so dangerous is that it's subtle because you don't even realize it's happening because more often the further we drift away from Christ, the harder we tend to be working in the church in his name. And so you can be very active in the church doing multiple tasks in his name while at the same time your heart is cold and callous towards the one who you are working for. We must keep the fire burning. We must avoid just going through the Christian motions. It's my Sunday to be at church. It's communion, so we take communion. It's my Sunday to sing, so I'm going to sing. We Christians are supposed to read the Bible, so I read the Bible. But you're simply doing it out of a robotic commitment to ritual, not out of a love for that, that, is, that is birthed out of a hunger to chase after Jesus. We stop chasing him when we stop intentionally keeping the fire of passion burning. Now, today marks the beginning of the new series, as I've already mentioned. I'm entitled Leveling Up, Level Up, Level Up, Level Up. And what I mean by level up is simply this. It means to bring our lives into alignment with the standards the Lord Jesus Christ requires for every true follower. To bring your life and my life into alignment with the requirements that Jesus has established for every true follower. You see, Jesus is the standard, not you, not me, not your church not the policy of the church, not the person you most admire that says they're Christian. Jesus is the standard. That's why Paul said, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. We want to have his mind. Christ is the leveler that determines if your life and my life lines up to his satisfaction. And so the question is not how we how we measure up to one another, how does Christ evaluate us when he puts us on the spiritual table for examination? He is the standard. The apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
We were saved by God through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ that we would be molded into the image so that we would look like Christ through our actions as he's controlling us through the Holy Spirit. And when I am looking like Jesus by conforming to the ministry of the Holy Spirit that directs me through the word, I am lining up, I'm leveling up because my life and my thoughts align with God's word. I'm going to be looking at the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 for the next seven weeks. And I invite you to join with me. I encourage you to study ahead so that you can see that what I'm saying is so. And we are going to learn the Lord's assessment of his church to see if, in fact, the church aligns with his standards. And these seven churches were literal existing churches in Asia Minor, which today is modern-day Turkey. And so while some have said that these churches represent different historical characteristics of the universal church of Christ throughout the history of the church age, now these were actual churches that existed. And what we're going to find is that the conditions of these seven churches reflect what is going on in many churches today, that the church does not line up, does not level up with the standards that Christ has set. We're going to see that five out of the seven churches Jesus had to rebuke. And what I want to do as we're looking at this is to consider where new direction falls in, in into leveling up with what the Lord expects of his church and where you as individuals who profess the name of Christ line up. Now, the first of these seven churches is found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the church at Ephesus. For all intents and purposes, this church was an ideal church. It was like that married couple. They looked the part. Everybody would have said they had a great marriage. Three kids, beautiful home, nice cars, and all of the things that we call an American dream. But this church, ultimately to Christ, was not a dream. It was a nightmare. The church at Ephesus was winning the race of popularity and numerical growth. That would have been the church that if you were going to a city to visit and you, some, you wanted to know where to go, it would have been the church at Ephesus. But they had lost the most important thing. They had allowed it to lapse. They had forsaken, the Bible says, their first love. And the Lord says to them, essentially, level up. Keep the fire passion for me burning. Because he says in verse 4, nevertheless, I have something against you. I have something against you. And so I'm not going to follow the traditional outline that it's actually in the, in the chapter. It's very simple. And most uh, theologians and pastors follow us. No. But I think the heart of the message is about passion. And so I'm going to give you four things about what it means when you've fallen out of love with Jesus, when you're simply going through the motions, when you look the part, you have the form of godliness, but you're denying the power thereof. And sometimes what we think that means is that you backslidden, are you living in sin, you're in adultery, are you gambling or doing drugs? No, no, no. You can drift from the Lord and never take a smoke of weed. You can be in church every day, as we're going to see, serving a teacher, a pastor, and yet you're doing it simply out of the mechanics of the responsibility. You're here. I actually heard a pastor say, the only reason I'm here is I'm the pastor. Let me just be honest with you. If I could, I'd be home watching the game. And so sometimes we're serving Jesus externally, but internally we are absent. The Lord never marked us present because we've not kept the fire burning. And so the first thing I want to say is, as we look at verses 1 through 3, is passion for Christ is a requirement, not an option. It's not an option. You can keep your old dried out, cold, let me do the Lord a favor service. The Lord, we may be impressed because you just showed up and we needed somebody, but the Lord isn't impressed. And what we're going to see ultimately is that the Lord, the Bible says that there's wood, stubble, and hay, precious stone, silver, and gold. That the Lord, the Bible says that every man's work will be revealed. I am going to pull the covers off of the motive for which you did whatever you said you did for me. And if it was simply 
perfunctory, if you were simply going through the motions, if you were simply just getting your name, checking in, the Lord is saying, I reject that worship. Stay with me. We, we, I don't want to get sidetracked. Got a lot here. Pray for me. Got a lot here. So what is passion? What is passion? I'm glad you asked. Passion can be defined as a strong and barely controllable emotion that won't let you rest until you've done your best. It will, passion will not allow you to rest until you've done your best. Not just the necessary thing, but passion says it has to be from my heart. It has to have my signature on it. It has to say that I put some, some sweat equity in this thing. Passion motivates you to go through whatever it takes to get to wherever Jesus is leading you. Passion makes you go through whatever in every circumstance, if your, if your heart, if the fire of passion is burning in your heart, you will do whatever it takes to get to where the Lord, Jesus Christ, is leading you. Passion is more than a fleeting emotional experience that we have. We come to church, we fall out on the altar, and we, we gyrate on the floor, and we feel some kind of way about Jesus for about 10 minutes, and then we write back where we started. It's more than an emotional fleeting Experience. Passion is a fire born out of a deep love based on knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. The more you learn about Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you will love him. And so passion is born out of, out of, a, out of the Bible says, worshiping him in spirit and truth. The more you get truth about Jesus that sets you free, the deeper your love and passion for him will grow. Passionate love is the kind of love that makes Christ your first and highest priority. When, and we're going to get a little bit into when the Lord says you have left your first love. He's not talking about chronological. I'm the first one on the list. He's saying that I'm not trying to be one of the things on your list. I'm trying to be the object of every list that determines whatever else you do. Jesus said, I'm not interested in being, being dated. I, I want to be the first and most important priority in your life. And so when he talks about, you don't love me anymore, he's talking about, I'm no longer the priority in your life. Now, when Jeremiah, this is a good example, Jeremiah was so tired of the Lord sending him these, these visual, uh, these these. Uh, uh, revelations from heaven about judgment and, and retribution and, 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 and being thrown in jail and, 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 never, and all the years of Jeremiah's ministry, maybe 52 years of ministry, he didn't have a single convert. Not one person joined his ministry. And so one, he finally got to a point in Jeremiah chapter 20, he said, Lord, I, I, you tricked me. I didn't sign up for this kind of ministry. I quit. But here's what couldn't keep Jeremiah on the sideline, couldn't keep him as a spectator. He said, but your word, your word, what I've experienced through applying the word of God to my heart, he said it was like fire, like passion. It was something, it was, it was, it was burning on the inside, and I could not keep silent. When you have passion for Jesus, you can't quit. You just can't because the word of God that is real in your experience, but it doesn't become real just because you experience. It's true whether you have disobeyed or not. But as you have learned that through the experiences like Jeremiah, he could not keep his mouth shut. When the church of Ephesus started, passion for Jesus Christ was not only evident, it had a tremendous impact on the entire Macedonian region. Everybody heard about what, how Jesus had turned that city out. And when you get a chance, I'm not going to be able to read all the verses, but this is, read Acts chapter 19 and 20. Oh, my God. That's where the church was birthed. And then later, Paul writes from uh, uh, Caesarean jail, the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is one of the most powerful books in the New Testament because it, it talks about the, wh who, we, wh who we are in Christ and how the Philippians understood that. They got it. So when they started, they were on fire. They were clear. They were sound. But something happened. 
And so let me just highlight some of the things that happened when the church began. And I believe the reason, however God calls us out of sin, he will use what is necessary to get our attention based on where we are. And so one of the most wicked, evil, idolatrous cities and in, in, in the most prosperous cities of ancient times was the city of Ephesus. It was a city of, it was a polytheistic city, a city of multiple gods, and the supreme goddess was Diana. And you could go to the temple of Diana and have all types of immoral sex with prostitutes, male, pedophilia with children. It was, it was known, and everybody that basically lived in that city had an had a idol, a statue of this goddess Diana. She was a the fertility God, the God of sex. And so because of the stronghold Satan had over that city, I believe the things that occurred by the Holy Spirit were used by God to break that, that yoke that Satan was using to keep the city in bondage. Now, here's some things that happened at when they got started. And I don't know how it was and where you were when you first said yes to Jesus. But here's how it was when they said yes to Jesus. There were extraordinary miracles, signs and wonders performed for a period of three years while Apostle Paul was establishing the church there. The Bible says in verses 11 and 12 of Acts, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. That's the kind of extraordinary sign and wonder God was doing in Exodus. Stay with me. God's people publicly professed their faith in the city and, and, and forsaking of idols. And so there was a, a, a boldness for Christ. Uh, we see that in verse 18. God delivered the people from demonic possession in spite of uh, the enemy, Satan, trying to counterfeit or duplicate. And so people were being delivered from demonic possession under the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the, uh, the Ephesian church when it first got started in verses 19 through 20, in uh, uh, verses 13 through 16. And then God also, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, this was a, a, one of the most incredible, extraordinary miracles that occurred. This was a city that was filled with witchcraft and sorcerers, and, 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 and necromancy, palm readers, and astrologers. And the scripture says in verses 19 and 20, it says, and a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in public bonfires. The value of the books were several million dollars so that the message about the Lord spread widely and powerfully. The Ephesian believers, God, the Holy Spirit was just wrecking that city. Witches and warlocks and, 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 and folks involved in, in demonic uh, uh, ministry were being delivered. And the evidence was they were taking their, their books that they used for their craft and they were setting them on fire. You know how we used to do it when we first got saved, all that liquor we had. <laughs> I hope you don't still have it. We took those liquor bottles and we trashed them and... Some of those porno uh, uh, VCRs, I don't know what they were, VCRs and other things that we had. Uh, we, we, we put all that stuff in the, in the dumpster and we threw it away because we were, we were trying to say to everybody, we had been changed. We met Jesus. Now, the kind of signs and wonders, the Bible says, they were extraordinary. The reason they were extraordinary is that that is not the normal Christian experience. When you touch the pastor's handkerchief, you better make sure there ain't no COVID on it. <laughs> you know, but what I'm saying is when they would touch the Apostle Paul's handkerchief or bring something, a, 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 a piece of clothing to touch, they could take it to a sick person and they would get healed. That, was, that is not happening every day in the Christian life. God is still performing miracles, and every day I look for him to do a miracle, but he doesn't do a miracle every day. The greatest miracle that God is still doing is keeping me saved. <laughs> yeah, that's the greatest miracle of all. But see, we don't have a problem praising God when things are emotionally high and fervent. We, we're in the church and people getting healed and folks getting slain. No, no, no. The problem happens is when normal Christian life begins. When you leave the church and you go home, 
That's when the real test. So what, what, here what we determine, here's what happens, though. What we focus on will determine what you see or don't see. Now, when you get a chance, go back to Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul returns from a, a, a missionary trip back to Ephesus to see how the church is doing. And he tells them in this chapter, he says, when I leave you, he had all the elders from Thessalonica, Corinth, from, 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 the, uh, from, from, the, uh, uh, from Galatia. He had them all come to a place called Miletus. And he said to them, and specifically in, 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 in speaking to the Ephesian church, he said, you'll never see my face again. Paul knew that when he went from Jerusalem to Rome, he may not, he was, in fact, Paul actually was executed. And so he says to them, but here's what I want you to understand. He said, when I leave you, two things are going to happen. He said, be, first thing, he said, be on guard for your own souls, pastors. He said, but here are the two things. He says, false teachers are going to come from outside of the church to lead the church away from what they have been taught that is sound doctrine. So that's the first thing that's going to happen. He said, then they're going to be, secondly, they're going to be false teachers who will arise from among you. And so he says, protect the flock of God. One of the things that the pastor with the elders are responsible for doing is to make sure that false doctrine, false teaching does not creep into the church. And what we discover is they got that memo. They understood it. And they became vigilant. And so when we get to Revelation chapter 2, 40 years have passed, and this church is still protecting the congregation from false doctrine, false teaching. And they are, they are living according to the teaching from the Bible that they were actually uh, 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 teaching themselves. They were practicing what they taught in terms of the external requirement. But what you focus on will determine what you see. And what I'm saying is that they made their total vision for their church was sound doctrine, <laughs> holy living. And they concentrated on what Jesus would say is the letter of the law, but they forgot, they forgot the spirit of the law. And in so concentrating on keeping bad people out of the church, they found themselves moving away from the Lord. When you get a chance, in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31, so what we concentrate on, and I really believe the reason why the church eventually moved away from their passion for Christ is that they were so doctrinally sterile that they lost their devotion for Christ. You can, Paul said, knowledge alone <laughs> puffs up, but love edifies. You can be so sound doctrinally. You, you can have all of the perfect answers for anybody who could ever ask them, but the question is, is that heart that is responding to those questions being motivated by love for Christ. Let, let, me, let me not jump here. So we will see that the leaders of this church got that threat of doctrinal attack. They got that clear. They protected the church for 40 years, and they became one of the great churches of that era. But here's the second thing. So once we learn, passion for Christ is not an option. It started off right. Here's the second thing. Passion for Christ is not the same as being passionate about the things that matter to him. You can be in love with the things that Jesus say are important, but that doesn't mean that you're in love with Jesus. Some people love ministry more than they love Jesus. They love discovering new things about Christ without getting to know Jesus in an intimate way. Stay with me. And so in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, To the angel of the church, to the pastor, to the messenger of the church of Ephesus, these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Seven means perfection and completion. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. And he walks among the seven golden gates. And seven stars, I believe, are the past. He said, I hold you in my hand, but I'm walking among my church. I'm walking among the churches still mine. 
You're the under shepherd, but the church is still mine. The church is yours by responsibility, Pastor, but my, the church is, by, is mine by sovereignty. I'm walking in the midst of the seven lampstands of church. I know your deeds. I know you're, you, 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 you are hard at work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them to be false. You have per persevered and have, not, and have endured hardship for my name, for my name and have not grown weary. You're still, you're still in the fight. You're still in the fight. But here's what, here's what we discover that matters to Christ. Here's what matters to Christ. The first thing that matters to Christ is the role of the pastor in the church. He didn't start with any of the officers in the church. The first door that Jesus told John to take this letter to, he said, to the messenger of the church, to the angel of the church, to the pastor. I'm concerned about your role. The second thing that Jesus was, in, was concerned about is the understanding of the church about who he is. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars. These are my words because I said I would build my church in the gates of hell. The church is mine. I paid for it by my blood. And so he's concerned about what the church understands about him, the role of the pastor. He's concerned about the church's understanding of who he is, or who he is, that he is the standard what is acceptable, that Jesus is the standard. He's concerned about that. He says, I know your deeds. That's the most important thing. God knows your heart. And he wants, you to, he wants that to be crystal clear. We may be trying to impress one another, but ultimately the person that we want to be impressed or we want to please is Jesus. We're not preaching to the crowd. We're not preaching to be famous. We're not preaching to... Paul says, I came, I didn't come to persuade anybody. He said, I came for one reason only, and that Christ would be glorified. We've moved away from that because that, 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 is, that is not the agenda of, most, of, of many who are calling themselves servants of the Lord. Stay with me. So the church, he wanted them to understand, I am the one who is evaluating you. I am the one who sees what's really pushing you. The church and its leaders had passion about the things that mattered to Christ. They did. They were concerned about the pastor. They held him accountable. They were concerned about the, the doctrine, Christology. They, they taught Christology. They taught eschatology. They were concerned about that. They also taught about the fact that the church was Christ. They knew about the, uh, ecclesiology. The church and its leaders had passion for those things. The Bible says that they were a serving church. He said, I know your works. The church was a busy church. They were a sacrificial church. He says, they, you, he says, I know that you labor. And that word labor in the Greek means that they worked for Christ to the point of exhaustion. They didn't mind breaking a sweat serving in the church and doing church ministry. He said that you are a steadfast church. That is, they endured hardship. They were willing to take a licking and keep on ticking for Jesus. They were a steadfast church. They were a sanctified church. He says, you do not tolerate evil. This was, you're talking about a sound church, a church that was, I mean, this is the kind of church that, again, if you were looking for a place to possibly join, it would have been the church at Ephesus. It was a sound doctrinal church. He says, you test those who say that they're apostles, and when they're not, you tell them that they aren't, and you don't just lay hands on people or, call, or, 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 or give them authority that, that doesn't line up with what the Bible says should be true. The Ephesian church identified false teachers and isolated them from their church, just as the apostle Paul had taught them. They were a strong, battle-tested church. Stay with me, church. They labored without becoming weary, he said, because you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans was a, was a, a her heretical group that came in the church. The word literally means it means to conquer the people through false teaching. And so they would overwhelm weak and untrained, immature Christians and lead them into doctrinal error. He said, but you stood against the Nicolaitans. That's the kind of church that Ephesus was. They would stand against false teaching and false teachers. The Lord was concerned about all of these things that the church of Ephesus focused on. But they made their ministry more important than the person that they were ministering for. They loved the church. They loved what the church did more than they loved who they were doing it for. 
Now, mothers, you can identify with this. You are as important to your family as the next thing you do. You, you taking care of diapers. You take, and again, not every woman is home taking care of diapers and husbands. And I could add, parents understand that our kids don't always appreciate our value. They love what we do for them. And they will act out when we don't continue to give them what they think they need or basically what they want. And so what the Lord is saying, he, he said, you guys, you, 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 you got my gift. The Holy Spirit gifted you, and, and I assigned you. I anointed you for service, and I gave you a specific uh, a, 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 a doctrine in a, in, in a way to, 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 to line up the church. And you've done all of that, but now you love the Bible more than you love the author of the Bible. You love wearing your outfit more than you love being clothed in righteousness. You love religion more than you love righteousness. You're pursuing being, uh, uh, being, being your brand more than you're pursuing Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, that you might be conformed to his image. You're in love with the things that Christ does, but you're not in love with the, the person who gives you the things. We love football more than we love Jesus. We love our electronic devices. We want a little bit of Jesus. We want five cent of Jesus. And then, he get, then the, the rest of our time, 95%, is ours. And then we really feel like we did something if we show up at church or we read our Bible a couple days in a row or if we pray. And the Lord says, those things are good. Keep on reading your Bible. Keep on showing up. But just understand, those are things that Christians do, but that doesn't make you in love with me. We love the applause that comes from being representatives of Jesus. But the one who deserves the glory is in the background <laughs> waiting for you to acknowledge that it was him who was working through you for you to accomplish anything that you could ever accomplish that has any real value. Our love has grown cold. We're busier than we've ever been. We're reading our Bible. We're getting ourselves. We, we, we're more interested in our waistline than we are in the fact that a world is dying without Jesus. Over 350,000 people have gone into eternity. I would suggest to you that many of them don't know Christ. And here we are. We, we want to we squeeze Jesus into an hour on Sunday. But we will watch football and basketball for hours on end. How dare us? And we, 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 don't, we don't think we're in sin because we ain't out drinking. We used to drink. We used to be part. We ain't doing that. We're just home chilling. You're not leveling up. There's something wrong with that. You and Jesus are in the same house, but you're sleeping in different beds. You and Jesus are in the same proximity, but there's no real fellowship. Jesus said, I'm trying to get in. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Let me in. Let's commune. Let's this, let this fire keep burning. And here you are. You're busy. Oh, I got your Bible in one hand, and, but you're, you're, you're drinking the other hand. You're, 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 you're beverage in the other hand. We put things above Jesus, and that's why it, the, the, the trickle-down effect, is it, it impacts our marriage. It impacts how we share our faith. We don't want to upset anybody. Well, when you don't share your faith, guess who? The Bible says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven. They had all of the doctrinal tracks. They lived for the Lord according to what the requirements were, and they had a clear understanding of sound doctrine, and they contended for the faith, but he says passion for Christ can be lost. In verse 5, yet I hold this against you. I'm bothered. I'm grieved. I'm hurt. I'm wounded, Jesus says. My heart is broken. I'm crying. I'm standing watching you saw yourself serving me, and I have nothing to do with what you are doing because I'm not the one who's in control. You simply le you've learned how to be good at Christian activities. You've learned how to quote Bible verses. You learn how to say the right things at the right time, but it never goes beneath. It's in your head, but not in your heart. He said, I hold this against you. 
you have forsaken your first love. And that you have forsaken, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Notice that Christ rebukes those who serve him without passion. He says, I'm against you. I have this against you. We're not in fellowship. We ain't cool right now. Oh, but I go to church and I pray every night and, 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 and I taught my kids how to pray. You did that because that was, that, was, that was the template. He ain't interested in the template. He ain't interested in the program. Jesus is interested. Paul said, we didn't come to you in, 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 in the strength of our, our, our wisdom and our articulations. We, he came, he said, we came demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. Where's the Spirit of God at work in what you are doing? We have no authority. Jesus said, I'm upset. I'm upset. Oh, can you imagine if you were in the presence of the Lord right now and he just had a reaming out this, a, a conversation with us, if he would just honestly tell us, he said, your heart's not right. Right towards me. He calls those who serve him without passion. He uses, you have abandoned me. You have forsaken me. You're deserters. You turn your back on me. You're cheaters because when we are not prioritizing Christ as the first love in our life, then something else has taken its place. We're cheating on Jesus. And we're okay with it. I want you to know you may be okay with it, but it, there's a consequence for those who say they know Jesus. But you got your whole Christian life on cruise control. That's what it is. Stay with me. Christ describes the the, the lost passion for him as something that has happened over an extended period of time. He says, look how far you have fallen. And the tense of the verb is that you started falling in the past and you continue to fall. When we drift away from Christ, it doesn't happen all at once. It's like a tire with a slow leak. You know, the, you know the air is leaking out, but you're just going to get to it. You're going to fix it. You're going to take care of it. And then one day you get up and the tire is completely flat. And if you've ever experienced this, I've done this, you know, gotten on these little boats, and you go out in the lake, and you just kind of, you're just going to sleep out in the sun. Guess what? If you don't anchor that thing, when you wake up, you don't know where you may end up. So what happens when we fall short uh, 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 when, when we start falling away from Christ because we're putting more emphasis on doctrine, we're putting more emphasis on duty than devotion, if you're not careful, you, the anchor who is Jesus, you will be so far away from him that you can't even hear his voice. You don't come under conviction. What you do is just out of obligation. It's not because the Holy Spirit is prompting you. And I said this as I was listening to this. This was a hard sermon because I can tell you that th th there have been times in my life when I've, been, I've drifted from the Lord. And then the Lord revealed to you, know, the worst thing that could happen to you as far as you are as a pastor, and the scariest thing for me is that the Lord stops talking to me. Oh, that would be, that's the most frightening thought, that what God has revealed to me on a regular basis, he just stops doing it. Let's let me run on. We're almost done. Here's the fourth thing. Passion can be reclaimed. He says, consider, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. I will remove, my, remove the church. And when you study the history of the Ephesian church, that church doesn't exist anymore. They did not respond properly, but they can't. He said, I will remove your lampstand from that place, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which, which I also hate. Whoever hears, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, a place of intimacy with the Lord. I will allow you to have that just like Adam had in the garden, which is in the paradise of God. Now, here's some things that you need to do and I can do to keep the fire of my relationship with the Lord burning. There's nothing sweeter than being in communion with the Lord. There's nothing better than to be in the position that Paul says, I am chasing after him that I might know him the way I am known. Stay with me. The first thing he says, remember the way you were before you fell. Con consider where you've fallen from. Think about the way it was between you and the Lord 
when you first got saved. You couldn't wait to read your Bible. You couldn't wait to come to church. And when they talk about tithing, when you got the money to tithe, you tithe. You didn't just cut the Lord off. Well, I'll give him something every other month. No, no. You just wanted to please God. You weren't concerned about titles and what people thought about you. You just wanted to please him. You told everybody you could about who Jesus was. and You had a childlike faith. He said, remember the way it was. When we were lovers, when we held hands, when you spent time with me, when I was the first priority in your life, remember, and some of you, if you can't remember that time, maybe <laughs> you don't know him. David prayed after he fell and the Lord restored him. He said, restore, renew the joy of your salvation. You can't renew what's not there. You ought to have a love. The, the Bible says that they who know the Lord, they have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're like deers who pin after water. They just want more of him. There was a time when you got saved when you just couldn't get enough of Jesus. What happened? He says, remember, repent. He says, repent from trying to work for Christ before worshiping him. That's the problem. We're trying to work with the Lord without worshiping. We're like Mary and Martha. You remember the story of Martha? Jesus is at her house, and then he got his entourage there. She's in the kitchen cooking, and she's just sweating and tired and frustrated. She finally burst in the room where Jesus and Mary are. Mary's at his feet worshiping, and she said, Jesus, I can imagine her putting her hand on him. She said, I ain't trying to be disrespectful, Lord, but would you tell this child that's sitting at your feet, Get out of off your get off of her uh, get off of herself and come in and help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but Mary has chosen the the first thing before you try to work for Jesus. We need to spend time in His space. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time allowing the Word that we're studying to saturate our heart, not for who we're going to teach, but what the Lord is trying to teach us. Because it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, who stands in the need. Remove the distractions from your life before the Lord brings judgment. He said, I'm going to remove the lampstand. I'm going to remove my power. I'm going to remove my presence. I'm going to, I'm going to put Ichabod in front of your church, in front of your marriage, in front of your life. There, there, there won't be any glory. You won't have any power. Oh, the church will keep going on. Maybe people will even grow, can continue to join the church, but you won't have any divine power. You have no authority because I'm about to move. I'm about to shut the doors spiritually, spiritually to your church. I'm about to shut the doors to the love between you and your wife because you don't love me. You can't really love your mate the right way until you have an intimate relationship with Jesus that you are working at by remembering what it was before, repenting. Move this distraction. Sometimes you need to go a day or a week without whatever those things that have taken priority over your life than Jesus, whatever it is, that has caused your heart to become cold, you need to turn away from those things and spend some devoted time with the Lord. You need to be honest about yourself. What has distracted you from the Lord? What has made you think that somehow what we do, Jesus just won't take it because we, 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 we cut him a little bit off? No, Jesus ain't impressed with your half uh, uh, commitment. In fact, you can keep it. In 2021, you need to serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Here's the third, fourth thing. He said, return. Do the things that you first did. Whatever you used to do, get up in the morning and, and give him some praise. Get up in the morning and open up your Bible. Get up in the morning and kiss your wife ten times and tell him, I love you because Jesus gave you to me. Get Whatever you formerly did that kept your heart warm towards God, he said, return to that. Turn away from distractions and turn to those things that develop devotion. Here's the final thing. Refuse. To forbid, for, forfeit the Lord's special reward. He says, whoever has ears, let him hear. To the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to eat at the tree. You can forfeit the blessings. There's things that God wants to release, but he's not going to release because he can't trust you. Your heart is not right towards him. So you need to make a decision. When I repent, when I return, when I remember, when I remove the distractions, the Lord said, I'm going to reward you. I want his reward. I want him to be pleased. Let's be honest with ourselves. We haven't, this has not been about Jesus as much as it should. We have given the Lord, we're we, we, we not giving the Lord excellence. We're not giving the Lord our best. 
And then we're trying to cut people break. No, don't cut no breaks. He didn't take a break when he took those nails in his hands for our sin. He didn't take a break when he left eternity in heaven in order that he might come into a sin-cursed world that you and I would not have to face eternity without him. He didn't take a shortcut, nor should we. Passion refuses to love Jesus less than the things that Jesus is doing for us or doing in spite of us through us. Some years ago, I had the privilege of teaching a course I was invited as a lecturer for, to the University of Houston. And I was so impressed, just graduating from Dallas Seminary, moved to Houston, Texas. And then they called me to go to the University of Delaware. And the place was packed. The amphitheater, and they were there. And I introduced me, Dallas Seminary graduate. And, man, and then they were asking all kinds of questions. And I just, man, boom, boom, boom. I was just knocking all the questions out. And they were just applauding. And then finally, a guy stood up. And he had a question about healing. He's talking, and the question about healing was one of these, you know, Christians shouldn't get sick and da-da-da-da-da-da. And then I responded, by the time I got finished teaching him in five minutes everything I learned in four years at Dallas Seminary, I mean, I totally just undressed the dude. I humiliated. Man, I just showed this guy. I mean, I stepped on him and all the things I was saying. I, just, I mean, I was so impressive that the entire audience stood and gave me a standing ovation. Man, I say, oh, God, I, I'm pretty deep. I'm, 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 I'm just heavy like that, and, I, and I'm articulate like that. And look at this, man, all this Dallas Seminary training I got, and here I have a standing ovation. And so when the room emptied, there was one person standing, and it was the guy I humiliated. And so I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be a problem in Houston. But I'm from Philly. Yeah, I went to Dallas Seminary, but I'm still alive. I, I, so the guy walks up to me and says, can I get a hug? Oh, Jesus. He said, can I get a hug? I was floored. I had knowledge, but he had love. He had humility, humility. He had a passion for Christ that I had lost somewhere in one of my seminary classes. I was in love with my credential, in love with my knowledge, in love with the opportunity, in love with the, the accolades, in love with what people thought of me. But this brother only cared about what Jesus thought. I want you to know that if you are going to have a heart that is burning with passion for Jesus, you need to put him above everything that you could ever think you could do for him. You need to put Jesus above what you think is sound doctrine. Not the sound doctrine doesn't matter, but Christ is the giver of sound doctrine. We need to spend time on our faces before him, and we need to repent and tell the Lord, we've been cheating you. We have, we have, we have forsaken you. We've deserted you because we've been going through the motions. It's my Sunday to come to collect, my Sunday to sing. My, no, 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 no. It's your privilege to serve because you didn't choose him. He chose you. Keep the fire burning. Level up. Return to your first love. Make Jesus the priority of everything that you do. Start with that. And when the church is on fire like that, I believe that extraordinary miracles will happen. Oh, I'm not, I don't need you to touch my, my handkerchief, but I want to see marriages restored. I want to see people delivered from drugs. I want to see this pandemic. I believe if the church was what it ought to be, we could come together and pray. And we, the yes, we want the vaccine, but I believe that the greatest vaccine is a church that has the anointing based on passion for Christ where we can pray and God says, I will heal your land. Keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Level up. Let's pray.